Warning. The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. Hello, I'm Ashley. And this week, for your listening enjoyment, we have Friday the 13th, Part 7, The New Blood. The No Blood. It's the no blood. Or it's the old blood because there is no new blood to speak of whatsoever. So it's like more like that old brown crusty blood. Yeah, it's very bloodless. No blood? Yeah, it's the 1988 classic. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so it's actually not. This is not a well-reviewed movie. It's a 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 35% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 13% on Metacritic. Yeah, I'm not at all surprised by that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm really not either. But honestly, I I would break the first half of the movie that way, Uh but the back half is not that bad. Yeah, that's pretty much where I stand too. But the first half of the movie pretty well dicks up the whole thing the first half and then the second half but the first half sorry you're not half the boy that nate you're not half the boy that nate's other half was before you cut him in half i've halved myself (laughs) you know this uh this film came out in 1988 and was directed by special effects wizard john carl beekler May God or Satan rest his soul, whichever you prefer. The guy was great in makeup effects. He had, this was not very far into his directing career. I believe he did like Prison, Ghoulies, and there's another one that I don't quite know the name of, and I'm not sure what order they came out. (laughs) I'm terrific at this. He had done several horror movies, kind of the low budget sort of stuff. Yeah, he did a lot of Charles Band stuff, the full moon movies that type of thing and that's the reason he was actually recruited to direct this because they thought here's a guy who kind of knows what we're looking for and i I would say that the fact that he directed this movie is probably one of the best things about it it's also once you've seen it one of the worst because this was a man who was really good at special effects had an eye for it and the mpaa just came in and fucked everybody they didn't kiss him on the cheek nothing (laughs) And as Cartman says, I like to get kissed, kissed on the cheek. Kissed on the cheek. Kissed on the cheek. (laughs) I like to get kissed on the cheek before I get fucked. (laughs) Yeah, it really fucked this movie up. And the thing is, is with somebody like John Carl Beekler as your director who has this extensive history, this could have been, I mean, okay, let's be real. Story-wise, probably nothing to write home about. But at least in terms of kills and and gore, this could have been the greatest one in the franchise. Yeah, I'm sure we'll get into some of the writing, but the script on this was kind of garbage. It kind of was. Like, it was, it was bad. Like, like, I get it, okay? You've got six other movies where it's the same thing, it's the same thing, it's the same thing. Like, I, I get it. But at what point do you get in a franchise where you go, okay, guys, maybe we ought to call it a day instead of trying to pull gimmick after gimmick out of your ass in order to keep this thing afloat? Yeah, I, I don't know. And I didn't, I haven't looked to see, the, so the writers were, or the credited writers are Daryl Haney and Manuel Fidelio. Fidelo? Fidelo? I don't know how to say that last name. He's bad with names. I'm terrible with names and everyone knows it. <laughs> but, and of course, Sean Cunningham is, cre- well, he, uncredited for this movie, but he's credited for the characters. But I don't know any other work that those two have done, but this, this is not something I would put on my resume. It was bad. God almighty, this movie had so much potential and 
Did it, though? It could have been I'm, I'm making my Thor face, though. Did it, though? But, <laughs> right. No, I'm just saying, before somebody, what was she, an associate producer? I think Decided, so. we should have Carrie White in this movie. And before those guys wrote horrible dialogue, I don't know. I mean, if you'd have just thrown Beekler in there and said, hey, make a Friday movie and just turned him loose, it could have been great. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's where I would say that's where it could have been great. It could have been great because they got a, a good a good director with special effects talent, and if they had just let him go and let him do his thing, could have been awesome. Well, no offense to the writing team, but the writing was not great. And if, if I've always maintained that if they had just brought good writers on, you know, given us characters that we can get behind, a story we can get behind, then it you know there wouldn't be such a problem. But these guys have never in the history of this franchise cared about making a good movie. With the exception, I would say, of Tom McLaughlin. But none of these guys until this point had, they, they didn't care. They just wanted to make money. And us as an audience, sure, we're sitting there going, counting the kills along with everybody else. One, two, like that's what we're here for. But when you get to the point where you don't even have that to fall back on, that's bad. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the effects that we see, what little bit of them we do see on screen, had a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we can talk about those as we as we sort of work our way through the movie. But they just butchered the shit out of this movie, and there's not really any uncut footage out there for this. I mean, there is. There are there are work prints if you look them up, which I don't understand that because they say, well, there's no masters or whatever, so they can't go back and have a director's cut or put the movie back the way it was before. But I'm going okay. But if we have this kind of grainy ass footage where we're seeing what the kills looked like before. Where did those come from? Yeah, I think I don't know enough about filmmaking. I, like they I must say, not. well, we don't have the masters, but we have the work prints. It's the movie shot on a camera, so I don't, I don't know what the difference is. And yeah, that's, and I, I'm not being sarcastic or anything like that. I, I legitimately don't know what the difference is between those. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm curious as to why that footage can't be fixed. Yeah, I, I it, like, yeah, same. I don't know it, enough it about it. It seems to me like if they have the footage, they could clean it up. They do that shit all the time now. Who knows? Yeah, but. This movie kind of got off to a shaky start to begin with. Was not a huge fan of the intro. It started <laughs> off fine with Crazy Ralph doing a voiceover. You're and... not going to do previously on Dragon Ball <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Last time on Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> they, like, they start off okay with Crazy Ralph doing a voiceover and kind of showing you the road so far. <laughs> right. I right? see what you did there. <laughs> and then it just cuts to, like, the last ten minutes of part six yeah yeah it looks like they're gonna do like another part four style retrospective type thing and then it's just back to previously on jason lives so which is fine the only problem with that is it kind of just makes me want to go back and watch that movie (laughs) right i'm like i kind of miss tommy let's go back and watch that movie instead (laughs) yeah and then before you really get into the story proper did you notice that it starts in the same place but it's a different place (laughs) I did. You pointed it out to me. So at the end of part six, there it was Camp Crystal Lake, right? There were cabins. There were children. There was a dock with no cover on it at all, right? Mm-hmm. And then in this one, when it begins, you, you see Jason in the water. He's got brand new clothes on. <laughs> They're a different color. Yeah. His pants still have creases in them. Yeah. The only thing they got right was he's still wearing his yellow gloves. But there's two houses there now. And this was supposed to happen like pretty quickly after part six, right? At least the, the beginning part where oh no 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 our heroine is still a little girl. I don't I don't think that even takes place right after part six. I think there's part six some years 
and then her being a little girl, and then some more years. Yeah, but I mean, I'm, I'm just saying that even if it had been a couple years between the end of part six and the beginning of this one, he's not going to be wearing some brand new Dickies, you know, work clothes. Right. And he was. I know it. It doesn't. I don't know. Make it make sense. I have no idea. All of a sudden, there's two houses built on the shore. I guess they tore Camp Crystal Lake down. Yeah. And built two houses there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. Like, did this rock that he was chained to just kind of float along the? I mean, I realize things are lighter underwater, but you're gonna tell me that heavy ass rock just kind of drifted down to another location? I suppose it's possible, but it landed right in front of a boat dock. It just happens to be kind of the same place he got taken out in part six. I don't know. Again, continuity has never been this series' strong suit. Yeah. And and kind of back to the close, wasn't he on fire for a moment at the end of part six? He was, but it did still show at the end of part six that he was still wearing clothes. So they didn't get obliterated. Well, no, but they would be singed a little bit. Besides, I don't know... And not have that fresh-pressed look? I don't know that he himself was set on fire. I know Tommy set the lake on fire. No, when he... Like, at the point where he comes up out of the water and, like, breaks through the boat, like, his arm and part of his back is on fire. Yeah, but that wouldn't completely destroy... No, I'm not saying it would destroy the clothes. I'm just saying it would leave... He landed in the water. It would leave a mark. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) And those clothes were brand new. At some point... They really were. He got out. He placed an online order. (laughs) They delivered them to him. They were freshly pressed. <laughs> he got his iron out, you know, creased his jeans, and then he put them on and went back down there. Yeah, his shoes looked to be in wonderful condition themselves. Yeah, were so. those like New Balance or something? Yeah. Well, they were very similar I, to I the boots know. you wear for work, but yeah. Right. So, you, yeah, it's not it's not a good start at all. And then, you know, we go to, like, there she's, there, you hear mom and dad having a fight because he's a... Well, let's, let's time out before that, because right after we get our previously on Dragon Ball Z, I just wanted to point out that this there's an entirely different score for this movie during the opening credits, because I think it's this one and maybe Manhattan, where Harry Manfredini was not responsible for the score in these movies. Yeah, that's not the funniest part of the story. The funniest part of the story was when I asked you, hey, didn't, didn't Don Mancini didn't do the score on this, did he? <laughs> And I said, no, Don Mancini directed Child's Play. What planet are you from? What blew my mind was apparently Don Mancini has never done a score for any Friday the 13th movie. <laughs> yeah, I told him, like, you're so bad at this. When are you going to get better at this? I don't do names. I, although I should just be thankful that he remembered the name Don Mancini at all. <laughs> it's Child's Play, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I got a name for a horror movie director. <laughs> As opposed to the Friday the 13th composer. But to be fair to me, both of their last names begin with M. Manfredini Mancini. There's a difference in syllables there. Okay, they begin with M and end in I. So (laughs) I'm still good. Still good. So you did mention, though, that you did enjoy the score for this one. I did. It was a lot more intense. Uh, maybe not than the last one. I think the, in part six, it was kind of a step up from what had come before, but it was a little bit more, a little more intensity to the music. They definitely had some of the part six score sprinkled out throughout, throughout seven too. So I did notice that. One other thing that did you notice that they have a calendar on their front porch? Okay. Are, are we now going We're into moving the on. proper? We are moving on. <laughs> 
So yes, we are with little Tina Shepard, who is standing in front of her parents' cabin and is overhearing a fight between her parents. And she just walked out of a Kansas cornfield. And I... Because that is a children of the corn <laughs> if I have ever seen one. And I don't know who wrote this argument, but it didn't make any sense. <laughs> because it was like... That's it. I'm packing us up and we're leaving or something. And then she was like, something about Tina. And he's like, oh, no, she can join the party. <laughs> Why would you be inviting a tiny child to come and join the party? I have no idea. And How then, drunk was this man? Yeah. And then she tells him, don't drink anymore. And then he's like, I do what I want and slaps shit out of her from what we hear. Right. You know, and she just kind of, ah. You know, she makes like a little sound. Probably not me who would be screaming bloody murder. And well, maybe he slaps like a bitch. <laughs> maybe, but but this causes Tina to run away while she commits a grand theft boat, pedal boat. And he comes running out there like, I'm sorry. Like, baby, come back in. I didn't mean it. And then she starts telling him, you hit mom again. Like, I hate you. I wish you were dead. And then she gives him the Care Bear stare, right? The dock starts to collapse and she feels bad about it. And mom runs out and she feels bad about it. No one should have felt bad about this. Yeah. And I'm wondering, why does anybody feel bad about it? You hit mom again. Right. And especially when he runs out there and then just sort of hops to a stop at the end. (laughs) pretty funny like kind of yeah he kind of bounces to the end of the dock like jazz hands and (laughs) i I don't get it but anyway back to the point on the calendar because you just totally glossed over oh i did i did i'm sorry it it says it's october 13th 1988 that was a thursday not a friday not a friday (laughs) but i'm pretty sure it says friday on the calendar it's a little blurry you can't see it yeah yeah and they filmed this movie in alabama and they couldn't be bothered to change the license plates on any of the cars. I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be in Camp Crystal Lake, New Jersey. And pretty sure those are Alabama plates on every vehicle they used in this movie. I don't know. Didn't you look them up and you couldn't find a single Alabama plate that looked like the one they had? I couldn't find a New Jersey plate that looked like any of the ones we had. You'd think they would have swapped them out. Maybe it's illegal. Yeah. Or at least had some mock-up ones they could make or it's something. It's Hollywood. Use some of that movie magic. Okay, honey, it's called a budget. And they probably didn't have a huge one. They can afford to blow up a house, but they can't afford fake license plates. Okay, you got me there. You got me. I do. (laughs) Anyway, so she kills her dad and everyone feels bad about it, but no one should. And then we kind of move to the present, what what is considered present tense. She channels Tommy Jarvis here and wakes up from a nightmare, traumatized, and she's much older. Again, that kind of... similar to the Tommy in part five. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the opening of part five when Tommy wakes up from his nightmare and then I have a complaint about the character of Tina. And that's that for the for her being a final girl, I don't think she's wonderful. The more I got to thinking about it, like, okay, because my, my big problem is is her attitude through most of the movie. She doesn't I mean, I, I get it. She killed her dad, whatever. Guy deserved it as far as I'm concerned. But she's obviously got PTSD. Again, she's fucked from the events. So now we're having to deal with the same thing we dealt with with Tommy from part five. I'm crazy. I'm crazy. And but everyone that's kind of enters her life, she's kind of a bitch. And she has a rotten attitude toward people. And I'm like, this is the girl that I'm supposed to relate to slash root for? Like, no, I, I can't do it. But the more me and Travis were talking about it, I'm like, you know who this reminds me of? This reminds me of our teenage daughter, <laughs> London. <laughs> because literally you can say, hey, did you remember to make your bed? What? What did you say to me? Why do you hate me? Why are you ruining my life? 
And then I went, oh, maybe Tina's just method acting. <laughs> right. So I will, I will and I won't let it slide. But moving on, she and her mom are basically going back to the scene of the, quote, crime, where this thing happened with her dad, bringing along her, I guess, psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever, yeah, her, Dr. Cruz. Her doctor. Her doctor. Played by Bernie. It's Dr. Bernie <laughs> from Weekend at Bernie's. I was going to say, what if not everybody knows that reference? <laughs> so the, the short version of Weekend at Bernie's is that this guy dies and they continue to carry him around. And... Yeah, so the idea is she's been, I guess, in institutionalized for several years, maybe her whole life. We don't know. And they're just not apparently making any progress with her. So he's hoping that taking her back to where everything happened, that they will begin to make some real progress. I don't understand the logic there. Well, I think that this is kind of a Matthew Modine Stranger Things situation. Could where be. Where he's trying to traumatize this girl a lot to really amp up her power. Are you trying to tell me that Stranger Things ripped off of the new blood? Stranger Things ripped off of so much stuff. <laughs> it's still good. But yes, but I think that was the idea, right? He's going to put her in a stressful situation because he's, he's clearly recognized that a heightened emotional state sort of triggers these powers. Right. So he's just trying to piss her the fuck off until she does some, something amazing. And I'm not understanding what his end game in, is in all this. Like A Nobel Prize. He's wanting to be famous. Like, I'm the doctor of the tree to this telekinetic teenager. He wants to be Dr. Loomis. Well, not until you get to Rob Zombie did Loomis look for any type of fame off Maybe the situation. Maybe they ripped off of this too. Either way, the guy's a piece of shit. He's the worst person. But they have this thing happen that really bums me out whenever we've gone on vacation. Like one year, my mother-in-law got us this really awesome cabin in Colorado with a fantastical view of Pikes Peak. And when we get to this cabin, oh, ooh, ah, it's amazing. You could throw a rock to the neighbor's house. It really sucked. Like you don't even have to throw a rock. You could just, there's neighbors right by. And I hate that so much. Yeah, you could spit in their window. Yeah. From your window. Yeah, it was bad. I hated it. <laughs> but we have our, quote, disposable teens living next door. And I, I gotta say, this is not my favorite group. They were just caricatures of what that group is supposed to look like. And, and it was a bigger group this time. Like, it feels like on most of the Friday movies, they just hit the, the archetypes, right? Like, here's the jock, here's the bitchy girl, here's the nerd, you know? And in this one, they had to expand the group. This movie was built on body count. It was yes. cast for a body count. Yes. That was it. There's no meaningful character development. None of the characters were particularly rememberable. The only one that is, is, uh, I don't know, I don't even know his fucking name. He wears the military jacket and he voiced Johnny Bravo later. Yeah, I was going to bring that up later, but go ahead. Okay, go well, off. there you go. Now you can have it. <laughs> It's all yours. I brought it for you. I did learn a few of the characters' names. The guy you're talking about, his name is Eddie, I believe, which they reused a lot of character names from past films, and I found that kind of funny, too. There's a Tina, there's an Eddie, there's a Sandra, and it was like, wow, they're just really, they couldn't come up with any more names. <laughs> Maybe there's not a lot of name diversity in New Jersey. Or in the 80s, apparently. Yeah, could be. I mean, not everybody can be an Ashley. That's true. <laughs> Thought that was funny. But no, the character of Eddie that you're talking about, the, the nerd. Star Mummy. Star Mummy. Tro Trogador? Trogdor? Trogdor? No, Trogdor is a different thing. <laughs> I was thinking, why does Trogdor sound familiar? I, I don't know. Throngdar. Throngdar. Trogdor. Is that a song? It is a song. <laughs> Trogdor is a song. Okay. 
I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Yeah, we'll, we'll look it up. I'll show you later. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know. I'm completely fucked up now. I have no idea where I was well, going with that. Well, we were talking that. about just the, all the, oh, meaning, right, right, the right. meaningless characters that were in this movie. Right. What I was going to talk about, yes, was I did. I was like this week years old when I found out that the guy that voiced Eddie or voiced Eddie, played Eddie, voiced Johnny Bravo. And I thought it was really cool because, you know, most of us Cartoon Network kids grew up watching Johnny Bravo. So that was just an interesting tidbit that I liked. So I just got to say that Jeep's pretty awesome. Sometimes you have to wash him. Sometimes you have to wash him in booty shorts. I don't do any of those things. I go to a car wash. But Now, now hang on. <laughs> Weren't those booty jorts? Yeah, booty jorts. You have to wear booty jorts. Because it's the 80s. It's important. Booty jorts. Yeah. So that's exactly what's happening at the house next door. We have Nick and his incredible booty jorts washing his Jeep while Melissa, bitchy ass Melissa, is checking out his ass and it's not even subtle. She's looking directly at his ass. She's doing the like sunglasses pulled down, head tilted looking. She's kind of creeping on him, to be yeah. honest with you. She but, sort of does it through the whole movie. Yeah, but this is happening in tandem while Tina and her mom and her doctor show up and they're unpacking the car and Tina drops I guess drops her suitcase and all of her stuff comes running or all of her stuff starts falling out and this compels Nick to run over and help her and finding a pair of her underwear to which she has Tina has the most <laughs> it's a pretty extreme reaction I mean they weren't even brown panties <laughs> and he wasn't picking them up with his left they hand. were an acceptable color <laughs> But she's all like, thank you. I don't know what I would have done without you. And he calls himself a jerk or asshole or whatever. It's like, no, you're not. She literally overreacted to that. He's pretty self-deprecating in this movie. Is he? Yeah, a little bit. Like, he seems to like that. He takes the blame for that. That's just the only instance and I could think of. No, because so. when they're trying to have a conversation later by the lake, and he's like, well, it's going well, because he tried to make a comment. He tried to make a joke. He just, he's he's an odd character. And it's not him necessarily or the actor. It's the dialogue and how it was right. written. This, and, and it's been, you know, anybody who's watched uh, behind the scenes stuff on this film knows that it's been brought up that the two of them didn't have the greatest chemistry. And I 100% agree with that. Their conversations were awkward as fuck throughout. There wasn't any inkling whatsoever that these two could be a attracted to each other the way that Megan and Tommy were in part six. There was just nothing between the two of them. Now, I don't know if this is for the fact that Laura Park Lincoln was married at the time because I, I always had this thing where I was like, you know, how do you do that? How do you be married as an actor and have love scenes or kissing other people and you've always been like well i would like it if you were an actress and do that but no there's a line <laughs> there's a that's part of the job but i wondered if she was in the same situation where maybe it was awkward because she didn't want her husband to get upset or whatever um and then of course the actor that played nick was gay and i i think i've heard that he was closeted at the time but i've also heard that he was out so i'm not very clear on that but i don't think that was any fault of his he was absolutely fine uh there have been plenty of actors who have been out and played straight just fine so i think it was more on her part well and i think sometimes it's maybe it's easier for them to blame the actor or actress involved than it is to just admit that there was some shitty writing yeah i like it's a big pink elephant yeah <laughs> like, I, the what the fuck was that, that? Yeah. like did they read that out loud and go yeah yeah that sounds good let's go with that <laughs> Also, he wasn't the only gay actor in the film. There there were several actors in production, members of production that were gay too, which earned this movie the nickname Fry Gay the 13th. Like I said, it's 
apparently they didn't gel well together. I don't know why, but you know, it's anyone's guess. But to move on, the next scene we have Dr. Cruz and her sitting in, I guess, what is her, Tina's father's office. And he's trying desperately to get her to move a matchbook across the table, which I don't know how that was done. If that was some, somebody put a magnet underneath the table or if that was some stop motion, kind of looked like stop motion to me. Um, it was really awkward and janky looking, but it's basically, so if I could retitle this film, it wouldn't be Friday the 13th, The New Blood. It would be Friday the 13th, Part 7, Tina and the Disappearing Tent Stake, <laughs> because it feels like 90% of this movie <laughs> revolves around a fucking tent stake. Well... <laughs> Like we talked about before, the first first half of this movie is the part that we don't care for. And it, it kicks off about the time they discover the magical disappearing tent stake. <laughs> that's kind of when the movie kicks off, right? I mean, once they find it, it's game on. So that's a fair title. <laughs> Seriously, so much of it is, who has the tent stake? He has the tent stake. The tent stake's over here in this body. It's a, Yeah, it's but in order to kick off the tent stake, of course, we have to have... Jason using said tent stake and Jason is still at the bottom of the lake. So after one particular night that Tina is very upset, she decides to run out into the dock and wish her dad back alive. So we get to see her dad's death scene for a second time in very close proximity to having just watched it already. Nonetheless, as she tries to resurrect her dad, she ends up resurrecting Jason, we guess by mistake. And as soon as he comes out of the water, she faints. Maybe he thought she was calling him daddy. But <laughs> but I got to tell you, this first look at Jason, this is this is my favorite Jason look of the entire series. I will say that the the very first look we get of Jason at the bottom of the lake, I was like, "What the fuck? Who ironed his pants?" <laughs> but this one, this is good. The proper introduction. This is probably this is I, I would say that this is probably the best Jason we've gotten so far. Yes. I really like how they did this. Yes. And this is where probably Beekler's eye for effects, visual effects, came into play. Because mm -hmm. Jason looks great. And this is a look that he built from the ground up. Like they they did a casing of Kane Hodder's body and then basically molded everything to it in order to it fit his body properly can you imagine that i mean think about it he's running around in the woods and they did say it, they filmed it in alabama but it was really cold they filmed it in the winter time you're running around wearing a seat cushion like props to that man because well, that had to be pure misery he's not wearing he's not wearing foam like that part's not well no but whatever, still, he, but... his whole body basically was covered in some form of prosthetic yeah yeah that was probably glued to him and that's, that's a huge level of discomfort. But the man was dedicated to the role, for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think for a lot of us, this is why Kane is our favorite. Like I've said, I, it, on any day you could ask me and I'd have a hard time picking between he and Ted White. But you have to absolutely give Kane props for his dedication to the role and everything he put himself through physically for the role. He's like the fucking Bruce Campbell of Jason's. Well, yeah, and so the specific scene you're talking about, I think in, was it Crystal Lake Memories they were talking about? He was at the bottom of that lake all day breathing off and on through a respirator. And it was like, so you're going to hold your breath for as long as you can while we shoot this, and then we're going to do another take. And you're going to hold your breath for as long as you can while you shoot this. And the guy just did it. Yeah. And, and apparently they really had to chain him down there because the suit was causing him to float up. Right. So he was, if they had fucked that up, he would have died. 
Yeah. And I'm sure it's not the first time that they'd you'd say, well, if you fuck that up, Kane Hodder's going to die. But he didn't care. He just wanted it to look great. Yeah. And I, I admire that. And obviously, as we go down, there there's more things that we're go- going to divulge here about what he put himself through in order to get this film made. But as it stands, our first victim is the cousin of the character Nick, and they're This group of kids is throwing him a surprise birthday party. So the cabin belongs to the uncle of one of the kids' friends. I'm just going to call him Rich Boy because I can't remember his name. Wear sweater around his collar. Richie Rich. (laughs) Yeah. So we see the character of Michael and his girlfriend break down on the side of the road. And which we laughed at this part because she's like, when's the last time you put oil in it? Yesterday. (laughs) How often do you have to put oil in it? You're not supposed to put in oil every day. If it's one of those things you're like, well, I got to fill it up before we take (laughs) off. That's a problem. Yeah. I've had that car before. (laughs) If if you have to fill up with oil as often as you put gas in your vehicle, then you should probably take it to a mechanic. And these are our first kills of the movie because I think he goes off to take a leak or something. And then sadly, these are uneventful kills because I believe um, he's just stabbed through the back well and i think she takes like a railroad spike to the throat something like that well he throws the spike but that's so that's not even the part that got me so when when they're walking into it right they pass a sign that says crystal lake oh right 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 jason came up out of crystal lake and he catches them first so was he leaving maybe was he on his way to toronto to film you mean vancouver you always say toronto it's vancouver was he walking to canada to go film Jason takes Manhattan? No, he was going to New York because we're not supposed to know that it's Canada. It was Canada. Yes, actual filming was, but film-wise. It just, it doesn't make sense to me that they would be the first ones he'd catch because they were the farthest away from where he came out of the water, presumably, right? I I mean, he popped out of the water right in front of those two houses full of people that just wanted to die, but he went and chased down the, the outliers. That doesn't make sense to me. But no, the guy, the tent stake, he, yeah, he like ninja stars that tent stake into his back and then picks him up with it. Yeah. So not, not the greatest kills for them being your first kills in the movie. Eh, We have better ones coming up for sure. But that, yeah, those were the first ones that I just, eh. But uh, we have Nick show up over to Tina's and he's inviting her over to said birthday party. And Dr. Cruz is very against this. And... Her mom's like, oh, it's okay. She needs to go meet some chillins and Yeah, she's like, go get your fuck on. It's all right. <laughs> go with the strange boy that we don't know. But what kills to me a party. is that Cruz does this so many times throughout the movie. He's like, you don't want her to go back to the hospital, do you? Like, I'd hate to see her go back. Do you want her to go back? I'd love her to go back to the hospital. <laughs> That's like his big, and you know it's an empty threat. You know that it is. Yeah. I think it was an empty threat. because He was just trying to leverage that to get them to do what he wanted. Absolutely. And so we end up getting Tina meeting the gang, Rich Boy and his girlfriend. We have the fighting couple. We have the nerdy guy. Then we have the stoned guy and the girl who desperately wants to bang him. And then we have the, quote, ugly girl. She's not really ugly, but they really want us to think that she's ugly. I think that's it. Eight kids? And am I missing somebody? The bitchy girl. And the bitchy girl. How could I forget? So nine nine characters, ten if you count Nick. Which is just too damn many. <laughs> it's way too many. I was thinking like it seems like there were a lot in part four too, but because you had your handful of kids, then you added the twins into the mix. So maybe it's not. Maybe more. it's not, but I, the difference could be that 
you get a little bit more invested with those characters. A little bit. And I don't, they had more charisma. They had more likable personality traits. Whereas this, yes, they were trying to set up each arc with everybody. Kind, I mean, I, I use the term arc loosely. They were trying to set up character stuff for each of them, but it, I just didn't care. <laughs> the story just wasn't compelling enough to make you want to root for any of these people. Yeah, because that's basically what it is, is Rich Boy's getting pissed off that people are destroying his house, which took me back to the remake of Trent going, oh, I want all you guys to come over and appreciate my house, but I don't want you to touch, sit, or eat, or drink anything. Well, it, what it boiled down to was it's not that I want all of you over, it's I want you to come be in awe of how rich I am without touching or messing up any of my shit. Right, because he's basically bitching the entire time about... Your guys were supposed to bring your own food. Don't break this. And he and constantly cleaning up after people. Yeah, he clearly, this he just wanted to show off. I don't know. And then you got his girlfriend who doesn't really do anything except follow him around and fuck him and tell him how much she loves his money. That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. And then the fighting couple, I don't think I could tell you their names either, but they have like a thing where the girlfriend's pissed off at the boyfriend because... He blew her off to hang out with Eddie, the nerdy guy, and then she's mad at him for that, and that carries on for several minutes into the story, and, like, where's my coffee? Where do you want it? Like, I'm going, I don't care! Yeah, and then they go fuck on some dirty sheets that people already fucked on, and they didn't change. Yeah, and nerdy guy, I guess he's trying to get published or something. That's his whole thing. He's, like, trying to come up with the next great story because he's, like, running through all these ideas and titles the whole time. Um... Bitchy Melissa's just bitchy Melissa. Stoned guy's just getting stoned. He's just on the Columbian Express. Yeah. Ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> I did like that part. Um, And then the girl who just wants to bone him, she doesn't have anything besides that either, except that she's friends with the quote ugly girl. And she's like, we made a pact that we're here to have a good time and I'm going to hold to that pact. And So the shitty part about that and probably the, the ugly duckling. I don't want to say she was an ugly girl because she wasn't an well, ugly girl. Well, that's what's in quote. I mean, she, was, she, she was cute. She, she was, like, was cute. clearly interested in the stoner guy. And then the friend, the alleged friend, is like, right, I'm going to go smoke weed and fuck him now. What a bitchy thing to do. Why are you friends? So, yeah, these are not anybody that I can get behind whatsoever. <laughs> the gist of this movie beyond this point is just these kids getting picked off one by one. Meanwhile, Tina's trying to convince Dr. Cruz that somebody is running around killing people. I'm not crazy. I want to leave. Yeah, and the thing, I don't know, this this whole movie takes place over the course of, what, about 48 hours? Like, it's just a couple of days. Yeah. It's a very, very short timeline that you're operating in. When you're operating on one that short, you're not going to get a lot of time with these characters. The story has to be very, very simple, and it clearly is, except for the Carrie White part. Yeah, because basically everything that I've just said is what happens through the course of this movie. you got all these teenagers with their little subplots that I've just described going on ugly girls telling or what what would you call that girl <laughs> i don't even know her name i know that the quote ugly girl's name is maddie but i couldn't tell you the name of the other girl the friend the friend i i have no idea she tells her she needs a little touch-up work or whatever so then we have that payoff that <clears throat> maddie gives herself a makeover which that's a touch-up right <sighs> It, it wasn't exactly a glow up. In fact, I think she looked worse than she did before. She had the 80s Baptist hair. That's what that was. <laughs> like big, big hair. 
played what with, is her name with, Tammy Faye yeah, whatever with, yeah. with lipstick was way too red and way too much of it my mom used to wear her hair just like that I'm not even exaggerating it looks like your hair just exploded or something <laughs> you stuck like your you finger got, in a you light got socket brown cotton candy and stuck it on your head yeah, it was bad. Because, like I said, she didn't look bad before. Yeah, she looked a little nerdy, little, but she was cute. She was fine. There was nothing wrong yeah, with her. Yeah, there was nothing wrong with that There girl. was something wrong with that guy, clearly. Well, I mean, I don't even know that he had interest in fucking the other girl. Clearly, his only motivation was to get high throughout the whole movie. His, his only mistress was Mary Jane. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. And you've got Melissa, who is desperate to not necessarily fuck Nick but she or I mean to date Nick but she definitely wants to fuck Nick and so she's basically making trouble for Tina throughout um she pulls this bit where she takes Eddie's jacket and and puts it on him backwards and it says is this what the jackets are like at the mental hospital and she's okay. she's just trying to cause trouble I had a question about that so there's the part where earlier in the film where uh booty shorts guy <laughs> And Tina, Tina, yeah, they're standing on the lake and he's throwing rocks in the water. And she admits to him that she's been in a mental institution, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That happens before this scene. But somehow Melissa and Star Mummy, like she knows that this girl was in a mental institution. Right. So does that mean he came back and told everybody? No. Because that's a dick move. No, because while they were having that conversation, she was lurking around oh, hiding. Right. Remember? That's right. She was hiding in her Smurf suit. Yeah. While Tina was giving her whole... I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. I've, I've, known, I've known this person for four hours. Let me tell them my entire life story. Right. And he did, too. They both divulged way too much to each other in that conversation. Yeah. That's like a, what, third, fourth, sixth, 98th date well, conversation? Probably not a third hour of knowing someone conversation. Right. right. But one thing they did get right in this movie was the, uh, the product placement. <laughs> that shit was on point. You got Slice. I don't know if you remember. Is that even still a thing? I think they still make slice. It's like Crush. You know, it's just fruit sodas. KFC. We got Pepsi. But the best of all was beer flavored beer. (laughs) And apparently it's the only brand you can get anywhere. Because the disposable couple in the tent that had no relation to anyone else in this film. They were just there because we need to kill two more people. Right. Had beer flavored beer. We should probably talk about that. (laughs) That's pretty much it. (laughs) I I believe this is our third kill of the film. Where we just have this random couple in the woods. And she wants the boyfriend to go get firewood. Like it's no big. So he takes a machete. You're going to go cut serious firewood with a machete. It's no big plot twist or anything that furthers the story along. It's just we need more firewood. I'm not going to fuck you until I get more firewood. Uh, that's I don't know in this in this type of movie it's just a dead giveaway suddenly two people show up camping in the woods that you've never seen before you'd know what they're there for yeah you're you're born to die yeah that's all it is it's like the moped kill on part six absolutely <laughs> it's like nobody we've ever seen before they're just there yeah for you were, some reason you were cast for 30 seconds of screen time so that yeah. we can kill you but the best part about this scene that makes no fucking sense for it to be there is that we get the greatest kill arguably in the entire franchise wouldn't you agree it is my favorite it is my favorite this is probably my favorite kill yeah, in the in the franchise. Yeah, of all time. And Kane Hodder has gone on record on several occasions saying this is his favorite kill. Yeah, and it's not like it's over the top or particularly gory or anything. It's the most simple kill that we get, and yet it's so fucking effective. It's just badass. It this really is a is. Cobra Kai kill. That's what this is. Yeah, because this is one. <laughs> this is one that was supposed to go on a lot longer and be more graphic, and it's the one case where. The MPAA fucking it up or interfering actually made it better and I would say more brutal 
Oh, I agree. And there's there's been some we've we've seen several interviews where there were different takes on this. One interview said he was swinging like 20 gallons of fake blood, which <laughs> yeah. is going to weigh like 180, 190 pounds. So there's no way. But another one was that he was swinging what a heavy mannequin and about six gallons of fake yes. blood. And that I believe. Yes. But yeah, I think because he was originally supposed to hit it what six or seven times. Yeah. Like it was just a beat down mm-hmm. on the tree. And I but I I agree the one hit is way more effective. And they were saying, too, that if you're going to have swung that body six or seven times, she'd be a lot more mangled than what she was. But I would argue that even with one of those swings, she should have been more fucked up than she was. I think it would depend on where you hit. And it looks like it kind of hit maybe a broken spine situation. I'm just thinking in but... terms of his strength. You know, we've, I mean, we'll get to it in part nine, but we've seen that he can punch somebody in the face, just punch them, and it completely <laughs> rearranges their face. So well, earlier in this movie, we watched him reach through someone's back and tear their heart out. So, right. Which we didn't really get to see. We got to see part of it and then a work print so right but uh yeah his strength is really impressive and i would even say that kane hotter just as an individual doing that scene because it, it's funny because apparently they, when they shot it he did hit swing the sleeping bag like six or seven times but the way they cut it at the end of it when he drops the sleeping bag and you see him take that big breath that big <sighs> that's because he was fucking exhausted because he had actually swung it over and over and over again for that take and then the next kill after that, I actually thought was pretty good too, which is we get Rich Boy and his girlfriend, they're going to go skinny dipping. And as she, she's our, she gets naked really fast and gets in the water, but for her, some reason. Her clothes just fall off. Yeah, for some reason. He has to sit down to take his clothes off. He's doing it very slowly. And this gives Jason enough time to, I believe it's an axe, come up and swing the axe like golf club style. I don't even know what you call that swing. But it was kind of like he was playing polo. Yeah. How they kind of do that that sort of a, a roundhouse type of swing. Yeah, yeah, an upswing. And I actually thought that kill was pretty cool, too. It was so good. If they had just left the effects part in there. I mean, I know that's not a technical yeet because he didn't throw anything. Well, technically, he yeeted the axe head at his face. <laughs> yeah, but it was like, yeet. So yeah. it, I still really liked that kill. I wish, you know, obviously there had been more gore with it. And you only see that effect from a distance later. You don't ever really, I don't know, it sounds bad like i'm a gore hound or something but you don't well, get to see the, the up close part of that and i've never seen another kill like that in another movie no where somebody gets hit exactly that way like that's it's unique i think in the movies that i've seen and i really wish they dispense you know fuck the mpaa you know what we need um, to cover <laughs> speaking of needing kane hotter to just fuck shit up without anybody interfering we need to cover the hatchet series at some point i was gonna say i think they call that the hatchet series yeah <laughs> Yeah, so fucking good. Adam Green just did amazing shit in that How film. How did he get those movies through the MPAA? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe those were independent. Not sure. Those are like a gorehound's wet dream. So, But no, after that, we get what I call one of two unfortunate gooch shots. <laughs> Because right after Ridge Boy gets killed, then we have the girlfriend who I can't, the water level here has got me screwed up. Because She's like 12 feet off the bank. <laughs> and it's how like, deep is that fucking lake? Because yeah, it's to her, it's like neck level. And you get the jaw shot where he's like coming yes. up from underneath. And that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't say. need to see that in any movie, yeah. male or female. I don't need to see that. Yeah, just go ahead. Step on, step on my punchline there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we get we get her so deep underwater for some reason, and then Jason goes up under, and then yeah, we get Jaws shot. Thanks, Travis. When you want to tell the rest of this now? <laughs> so there I was. <laughs> Barbecue sauce on your titties. Barbecue sauce on my titties. <laughs> but yeah, I was sitting there like, 
ah, I don't, I don't need to see all that. Like, yeah. But um, how does he kill her even? So it I know he pulls really her body down. It. He just pulls her underwater. Yeah. Like it really is a Jaws kill minus the blood. Yeah. And then he pulls her naked, muddy body. Yeah. He just drags after. her up on shore later. But none of that made sense. And it just, she was seriously so close to shore. The water should not have been that deep. And when she sees him on shore, instead of swimming towards the shore, and even when he pops up in the water, like surprise, instead of swimming away, she just treads water until he pulls her under. So nothing about that made sense. Yeah, I agree. We we could have seen what her kill at least was. I don't know that. I mean, I know that some bodies pop up, you know, decoration Michael Myers style. But well, he's I don't know fix that the she's feng one of them. Of the of the house. Right. So I I don't know that she's one of them though. That we see what actually happened to. to you know, her. I, I don't think her body pops up later, does it? I don't think so. Hmm. So it pulls her underwater, drags her off. That's all we see, unfortunately. No, but... fortunately, because we'd already seen way more of her than we should have. <laughs> it's true. But the, kind of starting at this point, you know, because we've already brought up the sleeping bag kill and then now that kill. This is what, where they kind of start dropping off. And we're not, we're still not really in our final climax part of the film yet, but at least this is a part where everybody starts getting picked off. Yeah, we're starting to rev it up a little bit here. Yeah, because at this point, you know, of course there's more teen nonsense. There's more um, Tina trying to convince her doctor she's not crazy. She really saw these things. This man come out of the lake. There's real. There really was a tent stake in the side of the house. Like I'm not. I'm not crazy. Ah! You know that whole thing. But the next kill that we get. It, I mean, well, at this point, everybody's fucking. We've gotten to the point where everybody in that house is fucking. Now Melissa is trying to fake fucking to make Nick jealous. She's trying to make the guy Eddie think that she's like he stands a chance in hell because at this point the dude has spent the night wrapping him up himself up in streamers yeah the, those crepe paper streamers <laughs> which, which to be fair is probably what I would be doing well, if that, everybody else was fucking and I was being left that's out. where he came up for the the title of his new book star mummy but the thing I don't understand about it is Melissa seems to be completely oblivious through the entire movie that Nick is not interested in her at all. Not even a little bit. He doesn't even want to fuck her. And I just, she just keeps going. And honestly, if she was going to pick anyone to go pretend to have sex with to make him jealous, she picked exactly the wrong guy. She picked basically the only unattached guy. Yeah. And that, Nick's not going to give a shit about that. No. But this is where we get unfortunate good shot number two. At least he, was, <laughs> at least he had his tidy whities on. But it was still didn't. The boy's nuts were overlapping the seams. <laughs> no, they weren't. But <laughs> his leg was moving in an unfortunate spot where you almost could see up in there. And I was like, please, God, no. I don't want to see it. And just, I hated the angle that that camera was on that we had to look directly into his butt or nutsack, whatever. It was gross. I was like, please stop it. Stop it right now. And then we get the couple who's been fighting this whole time. They have finally made up and they're fucking in the van outside. On the same nasty sheets that Rich Boy was getting down with his girlfriend on. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty gross. Like, and who knows how many other people have been getting down on those nasty sheets. Yeah. Like, that's how you catch an STD. <laughs> One of the ways. Now you sound like our son. <laughs> well, he's funny, so it's okay. <laughs> But the character here, which I can't remember his name, he he and his girlfriend, after they're, like, while they're banging, they hear a noise. So they're convinced that Michael has finally shown up to his party. And I love to quote this next part because she's like, we should surprise him. And he's like, oh, yeah, happy fucking birthday. (laughs) 
it cracks me up every time. So I, that's a line I like to say over and over, but they get their clothes on. They're going to jump out and surprise him. And the guy gets out and he's like blowing this party whistle and Jason grabs him and starts squishing his head in a very weird way. Like one hand on top, one hand under the chin. Yeah, but and he's supposed to be squeezing really hard, but the guy's mouth is still moving. So how hard was he really squeezing? Well, he can't really squeeze him. This is Kane Hodder. He could really do it. No, he could. He will really choke you if you find him out in the wild and ask him to. But he can't, so... There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, and that was supposed to be another one really good. Like, he squeezed him hard enough that, like, brain popped out or something. It, it will. It, it was, was supposed, supposed to be a lot, lot more squishier. Yeah, for and sure. of course, we cut that one. Yeah. And then he ends up taking the said party horn and jamming it right into the eye socket of the girlfriend. And it, I think it made a little noise, didn't it? I think so. <laughs> I can't remember if it did or not. Maybe that's one of those Mandela effect things, but it seems like I remember that it honked or something. But meanwhile, Tina's mom has discovered that Dr. Cruz is not, in fact, on the up and up and he's exploiting her daughter and she ends up with all this proof and they start to kind of battle it out a little bit and Tina overhears him having, overhears their fight of basically he's going to send her back to the hospital. So Tina overhears this conversation, decides that she's going to Grand Theft Auto again, but this time an actual auto, and run away, I guess. But she ends up having one of her hallucinations in the middle of driving of her mother being killed by Jason and ends up wrecking the car. And thus begins many, many, many minutes of people just running through the woods. So if it's not Tent Spike, it's running through the woods because at this point, it's literally, what is this one person doing in the woods? Because we also have, um, quote, ugly girl Maddie decide to go look for stoned guy David. David, that's his name. She decides that she's going to go look for him, I guess, to be like, hey, look at me. I'm all glued up here. But gets distracted when she realizes she has lost one of her her earrings and starts to look for it and then Jason finds her and this cracks me up so bad because she is obsessed with her shoes this entire time like first there's the earring she finds the earring I didn't get a good look at them were they like Manolo's or something no they were just like little cheapy ass white pumps like JCPenney yeah like not even not even like spike heels or anything they're like the ones that little old ladies wear to church okay you know with like a half inch of heel on them so like a quarter inch away from being flats yes like nothing to write home about but nonetheless she was just fucking obsessed with him and she's holding on to him like grim death like like she paid 19.95 for these at the jc penny and no one was gonna make her lose them look this is the 80s there's no way she paid that much those bitches were on sale for like eight ninety nine, <laughs> at Payless. At Payless. <laughs> yeah, so it cracks me up that even in her death, she is still clinging to these shoes. Yeah, right up to the point where he disembowels her with a sickle. Yeah, she's clutching those sweet, sweet <laughs> shoes. I don't even have shoes that I appreciate that much. So I just thought I thought that was funny. It cracked me up. And a uh, kind of a sick story here on that same subject. Was the actress said that she had broken up with a boyfriend and that after after some time he admitted to her that he would watch her death scene over and over and over. Like, she was laughing about it, but that's kind of fucked up. Yeah, and he was, he was happy about yeah. it that she was dying over and over and over. Yeah, I thought that was pretty weird. <laughs> what kind of sick fuck was she dating? <laughs> but at some point, uh, Jason cuts the power to the house in the middle of 
stoner guy, David, and the other girl fucking, and they don't care. They just keep right on going. Okay, okay. So before you make fun of that, I'm going to disclose a little information here. I want you to think about us when we were in our early 20s before kids. God, I think I know what story you're going to tell. It would not have slowed us down either. (laughs) That's true. Like, we would have kept right on trucking. That's true. Now that there's kids, we would be like, what the fuck did they break? But before kids, nah. I was thinking of that first apartment. Now, was that just because we had just moved in and the power wasn't on yet? Because I feel like there was a lot of TMI. Sorry, guys. There was a lot of sweating. I remember going on. And there was a lot of, (laughs) there was a lot of lit candles in that apartment too. So I wanted to think it was just because our power hadn't been cut on yet. Yeah, no, because you had, we had to make an appointment. Right. And so at the point where we had moved in, it was going to be like another week before they could come turn the power on. Was it a week? Yeah, it was. Doesn't feel like it, it should be that long. It was It was a while. I felt like it was like a day or two. No, because we had, we had to wait a while. But yeah, there were a lot of, a lot of candles. A lot <laughs> he's, of, he's sitting here blushing, guys. I am a little bit. <laughs> I feel like this is information we shouldn't share with people. And if you want to know like another deep, dark tidbit about Travis, when he blushes, he doesn't blush in the cheeks. He blushes in the ears. So right now his ears are very red. Thanks for sharing that with everybody. <laughs> hey, this I is think something... I'll do the edit on this episode. This is something Kent might want to know about, so... Did you buy that peanut butter, by the way? <laughs> and the bottle of scotch. Now I'll take care of this guy. <laughs> anyway. But uh, this is a couple I... I absolutely hate. And especially when they get done boning, the guy's like, does the standard, I'm hungry. I, I just fucked. I need to eat. He's He says this really stupid, cringy line about hunter-gatherer seeks nourishment. Like, ugh. It just makes me vomit in my mouth every time I hear it. Like, she fucked this guy? Yeah. I don't understand why she did i don't understand why he had two girls fighting over him i don't i don't understand why he had one girl interested in him we're not yeah we're not talking about like super attractive guy here we're it's just a stoner dude yeah he was not he was not a good looking enough guy to make up for the fact that he was a burnout stoner yeah so i i don't get it but and while douchebag is going to get food out of the refrigerator he like slides (laughs) to the refrigerator like how do you not notice that much blood on the floor i know it's dark but still but even if it wasn't blood at some point you're going to shine the flashlight which he was carrying down and go what the fuck did i just slip in yeah well i was it it made me call back to that scene from freddie versus jason where she gets out of the shower and she slides in the blood on the floor and she pauses to look at her foot even though it's dark she pauses to look at her foot and go oh that's blood on my foot (laughs) yeah but this guy doesn't he's just like whoa like it must have been some good shit (laughs) i need a sandwich yeah (laughs) um and then he and i how did he get killed uh he just got stabbed oh yeah he did like it was pretty simple yeah he got stabbed he got a basic bitch kill (laughs) yeah and then right after that the nerd guy dies he takes a machete to the neck and then what kind of got on my nerves is there is a huge section of just padding the runtime here, which is, I'm going to call her Boobs McGee now because I can't remember her name. And basically she, I think she's, she's not the only girl that shows her boobs, but she's the one who spends any length of time on her boobs. She starts fooling around with this cat that has not been in the movie this entire time. There was just a bunch of her going through the house, looking for David. It's dark. Finds the cat and then goes up to the room. Doesn't notice that there's a severed head inches away from her. Yeah, not not until she puts her hand in the blood. Right. Does she go, well, shit. Yeah. I got a little head. (laughs) 
and then Jason throws her out the window, not nearly as impressively as in part four. Well, you can absolutely see that he throws a stuntman out the window. <laughs> or a stunt woman wearing a wig. I'm but pretty sure it was a dude. Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Those were some pretty, I'm pretty meaty sure legs. A, pretty sure it was just a skinny dude. Yeah. But my point is that would not have killed her anyway. Like, because it wasn't like a five-story house. It was just the second floor. Probably would have broken something. Probably would have gotten hurt. But she didn't even land on, like, pavement or concrete. She just landed in the dirt. On the ground, yeah. She's going to be hurt, but she's probably still going to be alive. I don't know. Ted White did it better. Oh, <laughs> shit. Did I just say that? I'm not I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue with you because it's be- true. Because at least he slammed her into a car. That throw was definitely... Well, and he just... I know I've, I've said it a hundred times He was in the taking show. out the trash. He fucking yate her out that window. Yeah. Now, there's a slam in part eight that we'll talk about that's impressive. Uh-huh. This is not an impressive yeet <laughs> at all. I'm trying to figure out what it is in part eight. <laughs> Kelly who? Oh, well, it's not really a slam so much as it's just a drop. The, the but... backstory on it is more impressive yeah. than the actual. Yeah. But meanwhile, we've got Tina and Nick. They're trying to to find her. or They end up getting her dad's pistol out of a drawer. She's looking through clippings of Jason, much like Tommy did. And I'm trying to figure out what Jason's legend had anything to do with her treatment of, by Cruz. Like, that didn't make any sense well, I don't to understand me. why Dr. Bernie would have even thought that it was related to her psychic ability. Yeah, it didn't make any sense. Like, just the fact that it happened in the same location does not make them related. It feels like it's just an exposition thing so that she knows who he is somehow. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I don't know. But we have Cruz and Mom. I don't ever know that they say her name. They just call her Mrs shepherd or whatever yes yes that's correct they come across tina's crash car in the woods they're freaking out trying to find her and they come across jason jason they come across jason instead and he ends up taking her and using her as a human shield so that he will live a little bit longer yeah he's which a, is the most fucked up thing he's an awesome human think, operation human shield i think that's the shittiest thing i've seen in it's one like, of these movies it's like he was playing call of duty and letting the noobs go in first right yeah Exactly. So shitty. But he does end up getting it by one of the coolest weapons I've ever seen. And we didn't get to actually see it. The weapon? We we, no, we saw- <laughs> actually see the weapon. We don't actually get to see the kill. Because didn't Beekler say in an interview that they wanted to make this one pretty brutal because he was such an asshole? Exactly. And then yeah. the MPAA just cut the fuck out of it. Yeah, I think the original footage, you see his guts flying out and shit. Yeah, it's very like They graphic. show him being disemboweled. And we wanted to see that. Oh, absolutely. He deserved. If any human deserved it, it's this guy. This right. fucking guy. Yeah. But it was a cool weapon, though. It was like a weed whacker with a saw blade on it. And I think this is the only time he uses power equipment, or at least up to this point, this right. is the only time he's used any sort of I think power so. Equipment. I think you're right. But he had another weapon, and I'm not sure what that was either, and that was to kill Tina's mom. And it almost looked like the same thing, except it didn't have a saw blade on it. It just had... No, it was like a pruning pole, but it had kind of a cane knife type of yeah. blade on the end. Yeah, so this was the first time he really used other implements other than knives or machete. Crushing. bare hands, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that was cool. I, I liked the inventiveness in the, in the weapons there. But Tina finally kind of comes across Jason at this point. And this is where she decides that she's angry enough that she somehow is com- in complete control of her powers now. Yeah, they dumped that pig's blood on her. She's had enough. <laughs> Well, because her powers at this point have been janky at best. Yes, she kind of chunked a TV at Cruz's head before that. But But even then you get the impression that it happened, but it was an accident. Like maybe she wasn't fully in control of it. Yeah. 
But now she's a fucking X-Man. Yeah. Like she can control that psychic shit. Exactly. So the first thing she does is electrocute Jason by way of, he's standing in a puddle. She uses, I guess, tree roots to tangle yeah, him up. Yeah, something very evil dead about that. Well, that's because you're thinking of the probably the tree scene. Yeah, no, but I mean, <laughs> it seems like that may have been what they pulled it from because she does use the tree roots and branches or whatever to restrain him. Yeah. And throw him into the water. Yeah, under power lines. I'm not sure how that works. She ended up electrocuting him. Right. And then chooses to run away right after. I think I would have kept going if I know that I am capable. Well, that's because he he popped right back up. He he did, but still, I think I would have continued to try. Yeah. So but... I, I didn't really understand that. But the cool thing is, is she runs into the house where the kids have been staying. And of course, everyone's dead. She's finding the bodies. And then Jason fucking like ballet style leaps through a fucking window. <laughs> so I would say that that's probably the most athletic maneuver that we've seen Jason pull off so far. Ever. In series. Like we've seen, we saw Ted White and CJ Graham, Graham do some pretty impressive shit, but... A lot of it was just power moves. Right. This is, and we, and we even did see him kind of run a little bit. You know, Baghead Jason was a runner. This is the first time we've seen him do anything other than just smash. And when he just like leaps through the window. That was pretty cool. Like all, up until now, all you've seen him do is just sort of walk. And he can outwalk you. No matter how fast you run, he will walk you down. I but, believe that's where the meme comes from. But she tries to, she tries to fight back. She throws a couch at him. And then I guess Jason was having fun with Stoner Guy's head because he kept moving it around because first, of course, it's in the bedroom with, with Boobs McGee and she finds it. But then it ends up in a potted plant. Now she's using it as like a garden gnome decoration. <laughs> yeah. So she takes that potted tree or whatever and chunks it over it. She Jason. uses it to headbutt him. Yeah. And then she once she tries to leave the house, then she full on Dorothy's that witch and drops a fucking house on him. So the important thing about that now did we do we talk about the stairs, right? Because they'd gone upstairs Not and yet. they came back down. I thought that yet. No. So this one they really did drop a roof on Kane Hodder. Yes. And they were like, hey, we need to do this, and we're going to blah, blah, blah. And he was like, nah, just fucking do it. And they were like, yeah, it's really heavy. He's like, don't be a pussy, fucking do it. And even he admitted, he was like, yeah, it was a lot heavier than I thought it would. And apparently that mask is the only thing that saved his face. And you can kind of see it in the film that it falls, and he sort of falls towards the stairs. Well, apparently with that weight on him, it sort of just mashed him face first down the stairs. Yeah, if you look at it, he just goes boom. He just goes down. Like, that that is scary. And his... his (laughs) Jason hockey mask is what saved his face from getting turned into burger on those stairs. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to it in a minute, but the dude has been through enough in his life already that shit. But I'm just thinking like it no matter the movie or even really the situation, would I be like, Yeah, fuck just drop a roof on me. I'm good. It just needs to look good. Yeah, no. <laughs> like just drop it. Just do it. I'm ready, baby. It's probably it's probably okay. It's probably all right. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be like, Yeah, you need to get a stuntman in here. <laughs> Something. Yeah, and then we have our, our, I guess, what's our final kill of the movie, and that's Melissa has somehow been the last one standing out of that original group, and she's in the house with Nick and Tina, and she's talking about how fucking crazy they are. They give her the creeps and decides that she's going to leave, and they're trying to convince her to stay. Why? I don't know. I wouldn't fucking care at that point. But she tells them, no, fuck you. In fact, fuck you both, and opens the door, and Jason's standing there, buries an axe in her head, and throws this mannequin <laughs> the tv clearly a mannequin or at least a stunt person with a horrible wig on yeah i don't know the wig was trash the limbs weren't moving right when they went over the tv i don't know all the wigs they had on these stunt people were garbage they were pretty rough (laughs) it was it was bad yeah but 
at this point is when we have our effective full-on showdown between Tina and Jason. And it's okay. I'm more impressed with what he does than what she does because I feel like oh, if, for sure. if you're going to have those types of powers, get more creative with them because firstly, she makes a lamp fixture or light fixture smack him in the forehead. She spends a lot of time hitting him with the lighting fixtures in this house. Yes. Like that's her go-to. Yes. Now what's cool about this, as lame as that move on her part is, what's cool is that Kane Hodder was like, instead of me tumbling down the stairs, wouldn't it be cooler if I just fucking fall through the stairs? They just collapse. So again, he's perfectly willing to just put himself in harm's way for a great shot. And he did that because he just fell through those stairs like fucking sack of potatoes. But now this was another one where he almost bit it because apparently there was just one section of the stairs that he was supposed to fall through that were made out of balsa wood, which was really soft. Mm-hmm. All the rest of it was real wood. That would have hurt. And even he'd said when they felt when he fell through, his head was just like a couple inches from the real wood stairs that would have probably cracked his coconut. Right. And then um, as he's going, he's about to kill Nick. <laughs> we were laughing at this kill too because, or attempted kill, because it looks like he's going to step on Nick's back and break his back. But if you look at it, it looks like he's just got his foot on his butt and he's just standing there like he's, that. He's just standing there like the most interesting man in the world. Or Captain Morgan. Yeah. He's just standing there like Captain Morgan with his foot on that sweet ass. And <laughs> even though he's not wearing his booty shorts right now. Right. And then this is where Tina starts to like kind of crush his head with his mask. Like she's tightening the mask up that it's squishing his head and he turns around like it's oozing. It's really gross. And he turns around and the mask pops off and this is where you get to see him in all of his glory. And goddamn, that makeup is boss. So like it's, it's so good. In one of the interviews, apparently one of the reasons that Beekler had allowed the, the MPA or had kind of got along with the MPAA cutting so much shit out of the kills in the first part of this movie was because he had no intention of cutting that. Right. And this was a thing that the unmasking, I guess, was something that he had been in contention with if, uh, with what's her name? Barbara, Barbara Sachs. Because she didn't want to do it. Right. And he well, was Well, she didn't like, like the look of it. She said he looked like a, like a frog. He's like, I'm going to fucking do it anyway. And he did. And we're, we're glad that he did. Well, apparently at some point he had gone over her head to... To Frank Mancuso Jr. and said, this is what I want. I think this is what works for the film. And Frank Mancuso Jr. said, yeah, leave it. Sure, go with that. And it pissed Barbara Sachs off so bad that she further dug in her heels to make the rest of the production as miserable as she fucking could. Yeah, and I think to add insult to injury, when Mancuso saw it, he loved it. And I think that was, I think that's just salt in the wound. You know, not only did he approve it, but when he saw it, he liked it. Yeah. And uh, that had to just really hurt her pride Mm -hmm. a lot. But honestly, I don't don't feel like she had any business on this movie. I I don't think so. Clearly, she was not a horror fan. Yeah. Clearly, she didn't have a good vision of where this was supposed to go. She may do fantastic in some other genre, but this was not for her. This was one of those sad cases of too many cooks in the kitchen, essentially. And and almost every horror franchise has suffered from that at some point. And, And clearly, I don't understand how movies work. Right, and how the, the, the hierarchy rolls. Because, uh, wasn't it, which one was it, part six, where the guy kept interfering with the budget, budget, budget? Yes. And then you've got her, who's trying to dictate the storyline. And I guess, for me, I'd always thought, okay, so you've got the director that reports to the producer. And that it was more of a direct line there. But apparently it's not. They put Stooges on set to fuck with the director and keep them from doing well, what they need to do. she was a producer. She was an associate producer. <laughs> True. But I just, I don't know. That, that seems to be a problem. And it's, maybe it's not like that in other genres, but it seems to be pretty common in horror that they stick somebody on set just to fuck with the people that are trying to make a movie. 
Got budgets, yo. Yeah, but I think that in horror, a lot of times, these people that get on there and they start talking about budget, they're thinking, we're going to do the John Carpenter thing. You know, we're going to make Halloween and we're going to make it on the cheap. We're going to make it for, you know, a nickel and two sticks of chewing gum. And I got (laughs) news for you. You're not John Carpenter. You're not going to do it like that. Right. Like, you're going to have to spend some money. Well, and some of these guys want to make an entertaining film where they get to showcase the action or they get to showcase the special effects. And you can't always do that on a shoestring budget. No, you can't. A lot of times the vision... And honestly, it's not just the vision. Like, as movies get more sophisticated, they just have to spend more money to make them interesting to the audience, to us. They would have to realize that part of the reason they had so many butts in the seats were for those special effects and those that gore. Absolutely. So they they were really only hurting themselves. And the more effects they put in one, then the more effects they have to put in the next one. Right. I mean, can you imagine what the Marvel Cinematic Universe would look like if they'd been like, oh no, budget. Right. Well, guess what? They probably would not still be doing what they're doing. But Paramount was ashamed of this franchise in the first place. They really were. They weren't ashamed of the money, but they were ashamed of what they were making. Right, right. So much so that, was it this one that they had approached New Line to try to do the Freddy versus Jason crossover? Yes. And New Line was basically like, you need Freddy way more than we need Jason because Paramount, yeah, they had treated Jason kind of like a second class citizen. Yeah. And they were. They were ashamed that this franchise had made them a lot of money. But they wanted more, so I don't know. But back to the story. Then at some point, Tina tries to use yet another light fixture to hang Jason. And then, how did you say it makes a hole in the floor? Or does she drop him through the floor, thus no, creating no, no. a hole? No, She used her psychic powers to, like, blow a hole in the floor, okay. sort of. Which is funny, because, like, it happened right next to her boyfriend. Right. Pseudo wannabe boyfriend. So I don't know. She did that and I maybe she just didn't consider that it might hurt him too. I mean obviously <laughs> he was fine. Jason just put his foot on his ass so he was okay but. They do have a creepy shot in here too where Jason is doing the old fake out and this reminded me very much of uh, Army of Darkness. <laughs> I was thinking Evil Dead. Like yeah. it's a trick. Get an axe. Exactly because he's laying there and then the eye just pops open and that made me think of that witch. <laughs> Which this would have came before Army of Darkness but still. Oh yeah. <laughs> but anyway that's funny. And then he grabs her, I guess, and pulls her down underneath the... F- and I love that scene. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Like, you could have kept going. Me? I was just going to tell you, I love that scene where he comes up out of the hole and grabs her and yanks her down. Yeah, and then she uses... She starts throwing nails at his head telepathically. I don't know. <laughs> she starts throwing nails at his head. And this is where Jason, or, or Kane Hodder rather, was told that he needed to emote through the prosthetics. And I thought that he did a great job. Some people may think it looks silly, but he does this thing where he's really working his jaw back and forth just to show the level of pissiness or pettiness that he has. So mad. He's so angry. And then in what is the coolest thing probably in this film, she ends up setting him on fire. She douses him with gasoline and herself, which was kind of silly, and sets him on fire from a furnace that is down in the basement. This is the longest, at this point, at this point, okay, this is the longest fire stunt anyone had ever had. I believe it was 40 seconds long. Yeah, I don't remember the length. I just, I'm more impressed with Kane Hodder for this scene than I am with the movie for this scene. Mm -hmm. Because he had been severely burned before this, doing 
a fire stunt. Yeah, I was going to say, for anybody who doesn't know the backstory, if you're here, you probably do. And if you don't, then I will tell you. Kane Hodder, very early into his stunt career, invited a reporter to watch him do a fire stunt once. And the fire stunt went way, way out of control. And he ended up burning, oh God, I can't remember the exact percentage, third degree burns covering almost the entirety of his body. And he went... He got everything but his face. And he went to a hospital that unfortunately did not have the means to treat him. And so he was in agony for several months. Just, he went through periods where he wished he was dead. Like he was in that much pain. And it was like he wanted to kill himself. Like it was a bad time. And then finally, they were they were either approached or they found somebody, a good burn unit that knew exactly what they were doing. They specialized in it and basically were able to save his body as much as they could. And yeah, if you look at him now, it starts from just right underneath his chin. You can see these horrible burn scars all over the work, over his chest, his arms. Like, it, they're bad. But if you listen, there's a really amazing uh, documentary that he made called To Hell and Back. And it basically recounts this entire story of what he went through. And the guy is not afraid to open up and to hear everything that he went through and how much he overcame only made him more of a badass to me. So the dude deserves all the fucking credit in the world. And then to, like you said, to turn around and do a stunt like this after that. I mean, I'm sure some, there was some years between that, but to turn around and do a stunt like that right after in the same kind of stunt is just a testament to who he is as a performer and as a person. Yeah. And I think, I think that, and and I know that Kane Hodder's Fridays are some of the people say (laughs) the worst ones in the series. Right. I would say he's not the worst Jason's. No, 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 no. He's among, he is the best, one of the best. It's, it's a toss up between him and Ted White because Ted White's a straight badass, but it just, the amount of dedication that he brought to the character, I feel like he gave that character more life than it had had before. Um, and I don't know that maybe that's it. He was so passionate about being Jason. Mm -hmm. Like he has kill tattooed inside his bottom lip. Mm -hmm. That's insane. (laughs) Like, I've got some ink, and I can't imagine getting the inside of my lip tattooed. God almighty, that would hurt. Yeah, he's the guy that, when you get to the point of Jason X, he's telling you Jason wouldn't do that. Right. He knows the character better than the writers and directors do. He lived and breathed that character, which is why it was just so fucking sad that he did not get to reprise the role for Freddy versus Jason. I am I am still pissed about that to this day. Yeah, what was it? He wasn't big enough? He needed to be taller and, and thinner. I think it would have been cool to see a showdown between Robert England and Kane Hodder. That's the way it was always meant to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Yes. I mean, I don't know. You think about it. Is there anything that you're that passionate about? I wish there I, were. I can't. I can't come up with anything that, <laughs> that I would be terrible? like. terrible? That I would be like, fuck it. Yeah, let's go. And he, yeah, he's just there. He's down all the time. I mean, I, I would say that I put my body through a certain level of abuse for my art, but nothing that could fucking kill me. We're talking about some arthritis down the road or carpal tunnel possibly, but not could fucking kill me. Yeah. You know, I, I drop kegs all day. I get home and I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of sore. It was a rough day, but I'm not saying, yeah, drop a roof on me. I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just huge respect for Kane Hodder. Absolutely. And I, I really hope to be choked by him one day. It's a, it's a life goal. <laughs> 
Is that on your bucket list? It really is. Like, I'm going to wait until he's really old and probably not people, quite as strong before I do that. People talk about travel, and I'm like, no, I just want to be choked by Kane Hodder one time. And from what I understand, he's not gentle about it. No, no. A, fr- a good friend of mine, uh, Jeffrey Cool, who is obsessed with this franchise, and I hope you are listening, Jeffrey, because I have kept you in mind for a lot of this, especially when we get to part eight. But he actually has gotten to be choked by Kane, and he said, no, he's not gentle with it. And he shared some photographs with me and I was like, oh my God, I love you, but I kind of hate you at the same time. (laughs) Because it's just, I can't think of anything cooler. Yeah. And you know, they they did say that they wanted someone bigger for uh, Freddy versus Jason. Kane Hodder's not a small guy. No, no. So, like, and he's he's clearly he's he's strong. Yeah. I just I don't know. Like, if he choked you in really minute, that would be. I would still do it. <laughs> I'd probably be really scared and pee a little, but at the same time, I might get a boner. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, we got way. We off. so did. We, we got so way did. off. We so did. But uh, Tina and Nick end up leaving the house, and then it fucking explodes in the. Biggest fucking fashion I've ever seen in my life. And that was not supposed to be that big. Like, they ruined cameras. There's what? They said, like, a second of that film because it destroyed the cameras that were nearby. So whoever the pyro person is or the explosives expert that they had, they were just like, yeah, we're just going to go big. They went on to work for Rammstein? That is, (laughs) yes, they do their stage shows now. (laughs) Not really, but maybe. And that was an impressive explosion. It really was. That I really enjoy that a whole bunch. And speaking of Freddy versus Jason, I could see where their doc scene rips off of this doc scene because you had the huge explosion, much like the butane tank explosion in Freddy versus Jason. Then we have our final couple sitting on dock thinking that everything's over. And then, oh, no, Jason comes back, much like he did, except it was Freddy in the other case. And then Tina at this point, which I'm sorry, guys, I find this part really lame. Tina summons all of her strength and will to resurrect her dad correctly this time, who comes up with just a dirty face. So (laughs) she summons up dirty face daddy, and he's still wearing his cardigan. But this was not Bickler's original vision. He no. had like full-blown zombie makeup. Mm-hmm. He was going to look kind of like Jason, or at least show some decay from having been in the water for 10 years. And again, who do we have to thank? Okay. Ba-ba-da! <laughs> Ba-ba-da! Okay, honest, true life, that's all I can think of, and I almost said Barbara Streisand, even though she had nothing to do with this movie. All I could come up with was South Park. Mecca Barbara, Streisand. Barbara. Barbara what? Must be Barbara Streisand. No, it's Barbara. Sachs. Sachs. Yes. Because yeah. she Dis- fucked him one last time. Okay. Disclaimer. Barbara Streisand had nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> no, it's just the first name that came into my head. I just kept thinking of this song. <laughs> yeah. And it looked good. Like the, the stills and stuff that we saw looked really good. But instead they were like, no, just put some mud on him and he's going to come up and pull Jason down. Yeah. He has a chain. He wraps it around Jason's neck and then pulls him down and that's so help me help me understand how some zombie wife beater is going to be over to overpower jason Voorhees. i have no idea maybe maybe she in her telekinetic ability was able to move his body maybe he wasn't really in control of it i just i don't know know. but that's how we kill him so and see they had me at explosions yeah right mm-hmm. i was like you're, you're you don't know borderlands too but no, I, I do don't. and it was that was a mr torque moment <laughs> explosions right yeah and then they just ruined it with her dirty face daddy chaining him and hanging him down no I, I daddy just, no it doesn't like why that's anticlimactic to me 
Yeah. Yeah, it was lame. Because the next thing we cut to is... It was all a dream? <laughs> oh, wait, no, we've done that. Yeah, no. Three or four times now. We We cut to Tina and Nick in the back of an ambulance, and he wakes, comes to, and is like, where's Jason? Where's Jason? And she's like, we took care of him. So that was it. And then go back to really intense music, and that's, that's the end of the film. So, Travis, what did you think about part seven? I've really, I've really, 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 and I mean this in all seriousness, I really dislike the first half of this movie. I really don't like it at all. I feel like the characters were meaningless. There was no point for them to be there other than to pad a body count. And you could have honestly just thrown strangers in at random and had him kill them, and it, it almost would have been a better movie than to try to give me dialogue um, and just stupid kid shit going on. Because I don't care. Um, the back half of the movie, I think, is great. Once Jason really gets kicked off and he starts going, and it's Kane Hodder doing his thing, I think it's a great movie. Yeah. I like that part because it speeds up. It's almost an action movie, mm -hmm. like the pacing. Because once he starts really getting serious about knocking people off, he just goes. Right. I mean, he's like, he's just mowing the yard. <laughs> I mean, he's just going through them. And I think that's fantastic. I think the effects were good. I feel like the cinematography was really good. Um, I say really good. They weren't bad shots. I feel like they were probably a lot better before the MPAA got a hold of it and had them cut the good stuff out. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be my disappointment with the back half of the movie is that probably a lot of the stuff that Beekler had envisioned for this got chopped out and i find that really disappointing overall i'd say it's a watch how about you what do you think about this one so i have it ranked pretty far down at this point i'm exactly with you i think the first part of the movie just sucked that being said i do think it is still a watch i think it's required viewing, especially if you're getting the introduction to Kane Hodder. I feel like it is a proper introduction to him. He did a lot of things that I feel became iconic or synonymous with that character. This is this is the point where we add in the intense breathing on his part, which to me makes him scarier to see his chest heave up and down like that, to hear breathing, even though we know he's dead. There was still something about it that just made him as a character more intense. While I have it ranked really low, I do still consider it required viewing for Kane Hodder alone. So how would you rank them so far? The road so far. The road so far, yeah. So in dead last at this point is still part three, followed by part seven. After that would be part one, then part five, part six, part two, and then part four. Final chapter is still my number one. Travis, how about you? For me, at the bottom of my list, number one. Knew that. It's just because it doesn't have Jason in it. After that, I put number two. From there, we go to number three, where I'm at. And this is where it makes me sad. So next is seven. So I have seven actually ranked fourth. From there, we go to number five. Then six, number four, is still my top. Okay. So, yay. Yay. So, guys, next week, obviously, if we talked about the new blood this week, that means next week we're going to Vancouver. I'm sorry, New York. We'll really get into our reactions and well, strong I, emotional opinions about this movie later. I will say that I, from this point on, not including Jason X, but at least for the next two entries, I have a soft spot for them. So, I'm going to be defending Jason Takes Manhattan and Jason Goes to Hell a lot. Lot more than most people do. I have this theory that I will like Jason Goes to Hell more than you think I will. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> but until then, thank you for joining us for another episode. I'm Ashley. And I'm Travis. Take care, guys. 
Hey, Ashley. So what would people do if they're enjoying the show and they want to leave us a review? You'd review the show on your favorite platform, but that's just me. But who are you? I'm SpookyMom83. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not going to direct you to Facebook because I hate it. <laughs> and I guess that makes me Travis L80 on Twitter. Just don't expect a lot. Yeah, you're not really big on the social stuff. I'm socially inept. <laughs> That's true. But if you guys want to reach out, tell us what your favorite movie is, got any requests, any questions, stuff like that. You know, they can just stop in and say hi. They can just stop in and say hi. I will say hi. 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 Hello there. <laughs> but seriously, guys, feel free to reach out to us on all of our social media platforms. So they can kind of just stop in for whatever they want. And tell Travis why he's the better of the two, obviously. Please. Please do that. <laughs> Till next time, guys. Later. Bye.